Justin Wally, who is in Latvia. Is it Riga that you're in? It is, yeah. Yeah, nice. sunny, sunny Riga. Sunny, minus 13 Riga. One Football No Nets is the book that is in the football library, 1299. It talks about your, your kind of Jules Verne around the world in 80 football kits. That could have been your life. But I'm fascinated to learn about your gap year. You were 26, uh, and this was leading up to France 98. Where didn't you go? In that year, because you went to, you say, 34 countries. You, you've, you've definitely done your homework. I, I, yeah, 30, 34 on, on the nose. Um, myself and a uh, friend um, from school, Kelvin, we took a ferry from uh, Newcastle to Norway. Weather similar to today in Riga, actually. Snowy and cold, uh, mm-hmm. March 97. And um, we set off. And uh, we spent a few months in uh, Scandinavia, um, Eastern Europe. Yeah, down and back. We, of course, went back down to Ayanapa for a summer. Discovered the Baltic states. Took, uh, took the trans-Mongolian train across, um, all the way across to Beijing. We went from Finland into Russia to do that. Um, and then all the way through Asia, ended up in um, Indonesia when, um, when Suharto got kicked out and um, the country went to... Went to pieces for a few weeks and had to actually evacuate out of the country. So it was. Because, um, was this was yeah. this on the guidance of the British Embassy that said all British nationals leave? Um, pretty much, I think all, pretty much every every uh, foreign embassy was was saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. At that point, I was in. I got to Bali actually. I mean, during during it, I'd been in um, when when things had started to go a bit funny. I was in um, Sumatra and Lombok and stuff, but. Uh, yeah, we were in Bali, so it felt it felt relatively safe. I mean, I, I actually Northampton Town were in a we're, we're just got into the playoffs. So when the Foreign Office said that we should all leave, I sort of took that as an excuse to go back for the playoffs anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we went. They didn't put on the flights for us or anything. We just had to find our own way out, and I mm. managed to get the last uh, the last but one seat on a on a flight, which was um, wasn't going to Singapore, but it was going to the Indonesian island near Singapore. So. I, from there, I jumped on a boat and got out, got out of the country. But yeah, it was getting quite serious at the time. I think it was 150 people dead or something in in, in violence. So um, yeah, it seemed it seemed wise to leave. Time. Which brought you to France, and this was the second consecutive World Cup to which you had been. I'm curious to know what you did in America. Were you with the FSA or the Football Federation, as it was? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I did a project with the FSA. Um, we went over um, just to see how the how the Americans um, organise things, to look at all the good things and the bad things, and then just uh, we, we wrote a report which we gave, obviously produced for the FSA, but we also get, gave to the FA and to different bodies. I think it went to the government just to kind of suggest, yeah, that in terms, especially in terms of the fans, how, how things could be could be done better. And I went with Steve Beauchamp and a. Um, we were over there, um, I don't know, three weeks or four weeks. I don't remember now. Uh, the final was in Pasadena. Did you get out to LA? No, no. I was over, we were over, we were based um, New York, Washington, uh, Boston. Right. That part, that part of the world. Um, so we just went to a few games there. In fact, we, I mean, we, had to, we had to, if I remember correctly, we had to buy everything on the black market. We didn't go with any tickets. Um I mean, the, the, the matches obviously weren't the main 
necessarily the main part of why we were there, but we, we also wanted to look at how that was all run. But uh, so there was a few interesting, <laughs> a few interesting ways we got tickets, including in a in a hotel lift off an unnamed FA. Yeah, I don't know. I, hopefully, that uh, report we wrote did did have some positive impact on. And the t- United. I'd hope so. And I was too young for the tournament. I think I knew of the mascot, and I know that Brazil won. But that's that's. Yeah. And latterly, I learned that a Colombian got shot. Did it work, the World Cup 94? Because it seems that America now is reliant on David Beckham and the Latino community. Um, And if anything, it was the woman five years later who brought football to the masses. But do you think people like Alexi Lalas had a good claim on popularising football from that 94 World Cup? You know, there's players come out of America, like Donovan as well, that yeah. have had a, a positive impact um, and, they, and have created the awareness. You have to have, I think you have to have some stars that, that are abroad that Americans can look at, otherwise they're not going to take it that seriously. But uh, I, it's the only time I've ever been to the States. It's hard to, I don't, you know, I didn't know, or don't know the States well enough to know how it felt. It felt a little bit empty to me. It felt a bit like the Connie for World Cup felt like when it was in England, you know, that majority of people didn't really know what was going on or didn't pay any attention to it. Um, so it was there, but it just didn't feel like that, that big a thing for America mm. at the time. I think it'll be, it'll be more important. Is it 26? It's US, Canada, Mexico. So that'll, yeah. be a, that'll be much better because FIFA, have, after the nonsense of the Qatar World Cup, and this is where I, I bring back your quotation that I read, I've become increasingly disillusioned with how the game is run. We're talking on the day that Lucas Piazon has finally left Chelsea. Seven loan spells away from Chelsea. Three matches. And his career, I'm afraid, is... I was talking with Daniel Hurley the other day about Carlos Tevez's career. I think Lucas Piazon is even more profound. Because this guy was complaining to his employer, saying loans don't help. They don't help anyone. So... Are there any good aspects to modern football, elite football? There's definitely a lot of negatives. I mean, but, but I mean, there from my perspective, I mean, I, I, I detest VAR, but some people love it, uh, and some people, uh, some people think it's something that will be developed and be, be good for the game. Good things about it, I, I don't know. I think the big thing is perhaps that people in the developing world, places like Africa, see see the big name players. And it allows them to aspire, to dream, to think that they can be there one day. So I think perhaps creating the dreams for people in the developing world is, um, and the belief, you know, um, that you can get out of the slums of Buenos Aires or, or, or Mombasa. Um, I think that's a massive thing. Yeah, although um, I, I did a quiz, a 442 had a quiz, um, and they listed the 115 nations who have been represented. Yeah. In the Premier League, India, there hasn't been an Indian, there hasn't been an Iraqi yet, or a Syrian. But a lot of the, even places like Curaçao and the Democratic Republic of Congo, formerly Zaire, they've had Premier League players. There have been oh, I, think DRC, I think DRC, if, if, if all their players haven't been stolen by their, if, if, if that's the right, yes, that's yeah. the right word of you. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. They have about the best team in the world. Um, <laughs> there's, there's different factors in that. I think uh, there's a little bit of politics involved in that, possibly with some of those nations, uh, with the timing. 
Um, it is an elite league, and it's um, it's also where you know have, have you got have you got scouts in Iraq and in Syria, and things have been very disrupted there for many many years. There are, there are definitely players good enough in those countries. I'm not a massive fan of, uh, of of the way the modern game's going. Unfortunately, not not to say that I don't enjoy you know watching big games. I went, I went you know, as, as, you, as you pointed out, I've been to plenty of World Cups and Euros and stuff. So um, I, I haven't totally fallen out of love with the game, but I, I just sometimes I think I just see a bunch of kids playing in the park, and it's more enjoyable than watching watching uh, Premier League. Maybe. Yeah, you know? I think. I think a lot of listeners would agree. Um, you ended up in Japan just after the World Cup over there. And um, you noted that it was full of contradictions. Now, my grandpa did some business out in Japan in the 80s, and he said it was fun then. Uh, Ian Wright has a great story of being there for the World Cup. And he gets off the bullet train and grabs someone and goes, Oh, my God, the trains are on time. You will not believe how amazing this is. Um, did you find that as well? Just the the orderliness of Japan. It's um, yeah. I lived there for um, for about a year. Uh, I went there for the two thousand two World Cup, and um, I already sort of had this idea about teaching English over there, perhaps. And uh, the atmosphere at the World Cup was unbelievable. Oh, you did um, go to the World Cup? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great, great place to travel around. Um, what it did is it gave me a sense of where in the country I would like to live. I wanted to live out in the mountains, a little towards the mountains. Um, so, and I ended up um, living near Mount Fuji in uh, a place called Kofu. Uh, really beautiful part part of the world. Um, yeah, it's an interesting place. I mean, you've got this collision of modernity and uh, traditions, and um, it's very insular in many ways. They don't, you know, they don't kind of want foreigners, can I say, diluting their culture. At the same time, my personal experience was very positive with Japanese. I had a lot of friends. I even got invited to weddings. It's always, it always feels a bit loopy in some senses. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got these uh, vending machines in the street. I mean, we're talking about you know, 20 years ago that there were vending machines in the street. <laughs> Selling all kinds of weird and wonderful things. You, you sleep on the floor. You hear a rumble most mornings and you think it's lorries, but it turns out it's, it's minor earthquakes. But... Uh, one of the things that sticks in my mind is that you know they're so they're so incredibly well mannered and um, respectful, and you know you, you're permanently bowing and using polite language and yeah thinking about other people. But then you see the salary men who, who go for a drink after they finished work, mm. and, and then they just start openly urinating in the in the main street. Oh God! I mean, it's the strangest thing because you know if, if you were to sneeze. In normal times, in public, people kind of frown at you. But then you got—I just saw—I just had this weird experience of where I lived, permanently seeing these these businessmen, you know, <laughs> urinating on the main, main high street. No one batting an eyelid at That's—I I don't know. That's—it's uh, not the most polite um, example, but it kind of gives you a sense of sort of how just how sort of weird and wonderful the place is. At I've read—I've read three or four Haruki Murakami books. Murakami is the chronicler of modern day Japan he also wrote this great book about running which is I I think I bung that in the football library as well because it's a very philosophical approach to running um which I recommend but yeah Norwegian words and I think Kafka on the shore and he's he's got this very distinctive style where he he I think he's uncritical about Japan's Japanness and I would love to go 
Uh, I've also, I rewatched Lost in Translation about six months ago and it reminded me just how different it was. It is Eastern. And I, I, I love that film, by the way, because um, personally speaking, when I watch that film, I do have a sense of that um, really being like Japan and how I felt in Japan. I was there for a lot longer than their main character, but it, it does quite, quite, really quite capture Japan, or certainly at that time, very well. Yeah, there's a, there's a shot of him going through, is it Tokyo that he's in, or Kyoto? Yes. And it's yeah, just, every, it's... just bright lights everywhere. And that yes. that is what Japan's face to the world is. And of course, they've Shinji Kago has done very well on the football pitch, and they've uh, Nakata... Lots of uh, who's the other one? They've also got the oldest player in the world, the fifty-three-year-old. Yeah, so there is hope uh, for you. Fifty-three, isn't it? I mean, what a legend! I was talking to a Scottish mate the other day about him. I mean, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable to be playing and that fit at that level still. <laughs> it's incredible. And then, what do you do for the rest of the two thousands? <laughs> well, let's see if I can remember. <laughs> because I can't find. There's a big gap. Uh, between 2003 and then going to Riga. Yeah, well, I, no, I, I was I, so I was in Riga for a period of time um, before I went to Japan. After Japan, I was uh, I was teaching in Germany for a short period of time um, in Cologne. The Latvian girlfriend I had at the time, she didn't settle in Germany. Yeah, we just weren't that happy, and we just decided to, we, we we came back back to Riga for a while and tried to. Try to try to start again, and yeah, I went for a period. Just didn't really have you know much work, and maybe lost a lost a bit of direction. And eventually, I ended up doing a bit of journalism. It actually, being a ended up being an editor of, um, of a city newspaper and um, and the airport magazine in, in oh, Latvia. Great. Yeah, it was sort of kind of my journalist period, so it's a journalistic period that I that I had. And yeah, plenty of still lots of travelling, lots of tournaments, and yeah, the foot, I mean, yeah, and the football stuff kind of kicked in again, really more like um, two thousand seven, a little bit, and two thousand more, more more like two thousand eleven. It's when things got a bit more serious. Yeah, and we will leap to two thousand and eleven because you you get involved in Riga United. I've read a piece about Skonta Riga which has now collapsed. Can you yeah. shine any more light as to the domination of Skonto? Well, they, held the, they, they did hold the world record, didn't they, for the most uh, consecutive league, national league titles. You, you might, you, I'm sure you check that up if I'm correct, but I think something like 14 or something. Yeah, 14 is what was in my mind as well, yeah. That's a big reason why um, the Latvian national team was, was so successful in 2000 to 2004 time, of course, ended up going to the Portugal Euros. Um, a lot of the lads um, were either playing at Skonto or come out of that um, club. They come through the youth ranks and they played uh, played for the first team and they played a lot of European football in those days. Played Back in the 90s, they played Barcelona and Chelsea. I mean, they gave Barcelona a hell of a scare, actually, over two legs. Skonto was a building company. So that's where the money came from. Yeah, Um, yeah, every dog has its day, and eventually, um, eventually, the club started to die for one reason or another. It's it's defunct now, and I think there might be a youth, a young youth team or two that still uses the name or something. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, yeah, it's essentially it's gone. Um, And you'd say Riga FC is probably the 
the new equivalent of uh, Skonto today. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just looking at the Euro 2004 period. Alexander Isakovs was booked in the first minute against Germany. That, yeah, well, that's, that's what you do, They it? drew yeah. nil-nil. Mike Riley was the ref. That's what you do. Isakovs goes in, he lets, he lets them know his boss, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, that, that's job done. No, I went to that match and um, I'm not exaggerating when I say that Latvia should, should have won it by a couple of goals. Um, they're basically Verpakovsky's um, random silly. It's well worth looking at a little clip on YouTube where he uh, he beats about four four of the Germans and um, goes clear on goal against Khan and um, just, just runs, out of, um, runs out of petrol because he's, he's run from mm. far outside his own box. Um but they just basically hacked him down the whole game. Um, probably could have had three or four penalties in, in, in different times. Wow. Even, <laughs> dare I say, in VAR times. <laughs> uh, there's two kinds of football, the one we like and the one that has VAR. That's what I'm saying. Do you talk about your time in Latvia in your book? Uh, not, not an awful lot. I mean, there's a couple of months in the book where I am in Latvia because what happened was I, I left Zimbabwe to come back to Europe to... To um, you know, to try and raise some money for the for the team, and to to work on getting uh, staff and getting a bit of awareness for us in the media. So, I, I came back to Riga at the time, and um, actually was a I was a cat uh, and house sitter <laughs> for a couple of months uh, this time of the year. This kind of very similar weather to now. Hibernation. Uh, yeah, an English lad I know, a friend of mine, Justin, who's a golf pro over here. I just I looked up, yeah, he, while he while he went off to the Canary Islands, I looked after his uh, cat and his house rent free. So wow. that was very very helpful to all involved, and uh, mostly talking about what I was up to work wise. But there's a couple of couple of references to things that were going on in Latvia at the time, and uh, went to a big big boxing match and was playing football and stuff at the same time while I was here. Whereas I'm, I live um, 25 minutes walk now from where I've spent most of my childhood. So I've gone nowhere. I'd studied in Edinburgh, but I've never been to any of these places. I've, I've never been to Africa. I hear it's a nice country. Uh, did you yeah. just wake up one day and think, yeah, I'm going to go back to Africa? Uh, I, I suppose because I've done quite a bit of travelling, it, it really is in the blood. I mean, in during this last um, last few weeks... There's been times where I've lain in bed and I'm, I'm very happy with my life and um, you know I'm, I'm, I've got a good home life and with a lovely lady here and in a great city. But um, there's times I lie and I think, oh, you know, I just I'd love to go and see I don't know Sudan or uh, Ethiopia or whatever. And um, I think that's it's, it's an addiction. It's it's a bit like when you haven't been to watch a football match, you know, live for a while. Um, the first opportunity you get perhaps to do it, you want to do it again. Um, um, I'll ask you a question. Why You, you mentioned you've not been to a lot of those places, but why do you think you haven't? I just don't like travelling. I don't like the logistics. I don't like airports. I don't like flight yeah. delays. I've, I suppose you're thinking, well, obviously he's small-minded. No, uh, no because... No, no. <laughs> oh, the listener might. I, th- I always say, because I'm into country music and... People say, well, why don't you go to Nashville? And my argument is, well, Nashville's coming here because it's sensing yeah. a money opportunity. Why don't you go, yeah. why don't you go to Africa? A friend of mine was out in Tanzania for a bit and invited me over. And I thought, well, I don't know. Tanzania, yeah. I had to, I'd have to get lots of shots. It would just yeah. be, I, I, I wouldn't have like Marmite. 
It would. I think just I'm too comfortable. And also, being Jewish, we've I've done our travelling. I've just had my mic sent out, so there are, <laughs> <laughs> there are solutions. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, um, my, my main reason is just that as a Jew, we've we've travelled. We want to settle down and be accountants and lawyers, and that's it now. And football librarians, which is what I do. I the leaving is always a difficult part anyway. The, I hate all that. I hate all the be it to travel or be it to live somewhere else, it's, it's, it's a big headache, it's a big stress. It's, uh, uh, airports these days are horrible. Uh, they used to be quite quite fun places, but they're horrible on the whole. And um, the whole experience isn't that pleasant. And as you said, visas and jet, yeah, it's, it's really quite off-putting. But I think that is that is the part that um, that, that stops people. But um, if, 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 if people can get past that, then it's, it's worth the re- yeah. rewards. But there again, not everyone's the same. As you say, it's, some people are very content um, in, in, in different ways. It's not, it's not small-minded at all. No, it's, cool. um, it's, it's, it's what you enjoy. It's what, it's what makes you happy, isn't it, ultimately? Because we've only really, in the last century, of all the squillions of years, only in the last 120 has steam and air travel, diesel travel, made it acceptable. Yeah. And now Greta Thunberg's turning on us and going, how dare you expand your horizons? Um, so I, I wonder what the experience of international travel will be like, especially because it was businessmen who benefited in the last hundred years. Um, and also, as someone rightly said the other week, people are going to flee war and famine and pestilence and disease by any means necessary. You've lived in some of these places where, and you've, you've worked in some of these places which are developing countries, formerly called third world countries. And I'm now going to turn to your work before we reach Matabelliland. Craig Bellamy is a fun character, but one of his lasting creations is his foundation. And you coached with the foundation in 2013. I wanted to um, volunteer abroad, um, not necessarily in Africa, but I think Africa the, was the, the place I pretty much always had in my mind. It was one of those things I kept saying for many, many years, oh, I'm going to volunteer one day. And suddenly uh, you're 40 and you think, well, I haven't done this. And um, I was in a position to, to look at doing something like that. Um, a friend of mine, Graham, Graham Foster, he mentioned some some friend who was involved with the organisation, the Craig Bellamy Firm, not the Craig Bellamy Foundation, actually. It was another organisation that, uh, that had, had links. They were called The Collective. Uh, and he told me about what they were doing out there, and um, I, I got in got in contact with the collective, and um, yeah, I really liked really liked a lot of the projects they were doing. And they said one of the projects we're we're helping the Craig Bellamy Foundation. Um, do you want to come out? So yeah, I went out to Sierra Leone. I ended up um, not in the capital, but um, up in up in the north of the country. Um, and it was um, there, there was a league. Um, basically, what, what what Craig had done with his with this uh, football was there were lots of leagues uh, for young for young kids, and um, you got points if you attended school, um, as well as obviously winning games. But you got points for for attending school. You got points for participating in community projects and delivering them. So what it was doing was it was. Uh, there were certain certain schools where attendance might have been twenty percent, and it went up to ninety percent. You had kids, um, you know, in very traditional, very rural settings, who were getting mosquito nets into communities that otherwise might not have taken them, you know, and therefore cutting down on malaria. So 
brilliant project. Um, so I, you know, fundamentally, my, my role there was to to look at what they were what they were doing locally in McKenney, and um, you know, look at again what what could be done better. Um, what were any problems? Um, and while I was there, I was uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't there as a coach, but I, I was able to coach while I was there as well. Um, so I coached um, a little bit with the kids. And I did one. <laughs> I did one guest coaching session for a team that were top of the first division, who were about to go up into the Premier League, um, which <laughs> mm. I thought was a bit above my uh, competences at the time. But they said, "No, no, no, come on, please!" And um, yeah, I put on the session. I think it went quite well. So. Um, and you also yeah. you also refereed a cup final. Oh my word! That was. Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, so funny because they just they, they just bring stuff on me. Um, you know, they go say, "Can you come down to this address and get down there?" So oh, you're on national radio, and just throw you throw you in the room. You're on national radio, and then they said, uh, "Can you come down and help with this um, this match we've got?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, okay, yeah, sure." Um, you get down there. What do you want me to do? Referee? Well, I've never refereed a you know I've refereed five sides and stuff, but I've never refereed a proper game. And I went, "Ah, oh, don't worry." I said, "Well, I've got a refereeing outfit." Oh, we've got one. So give me this. Super- Super, but luckily I lost quite a lot of weight being an African, but they give me a super tight um, referee's outfit. And um, and then they said, uh, I said, so what's the game? Oh, it's the, uh, you know, it's the, I don't know, the under-15, under-13s um, regional cup final or something. I was like, you're joking me. You know, <laughs> uh, 1,250, 12, I can't remember, 1,200, people in the game um, in a proper stadium. <laughs> I was the only white guy at the stadium, and uh, there I was refereeing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, uh, was it a good yeah, game? I mean, it was. Uh, the thing that sticks in my mind was when um, uh, I think the, te- the team went two 0 up towards the end. I think that's right. And um, there was a pitch invasion, oh. and came flying out from everywhere, and were very peaceful. But they were all like rolling around on the pitch and jumping and. Uh, some of them were going in, even going in the opposition players. I said, "Oh my god, what do I do here?" But, uh, no, no, very funny, very, very funny experience. No, I, I like the idea when this interview that you give. Uh, you say you provided a structured football environment, and I think it's so necessary in the developing world, just to give, just to bring the horse to water and let the horse drink on their own time. You know, the, the kids there—they're very, very talented. It's, it's, it's often a problem of stuff being structured and um, facilities and you know proper proper equipment, which is something um, which is something that FIFA recognises, and it, it may be cash for votes, but they do provide the infrastructure for African football in particular. FIFA, they do, yeah. Uh, they, they certainly let themselves down in other parts of the world. So I hear. Most, yes, uh, Pacific, uh, in the Pacific, they, they really haven't done their job, but. Uh, there again, it's a bit like soft power with the Chinese, isn't it? If you if you if you go into African nations, there's there's lots of there's lots of advantages to to gain in business and contacts and, and what have you. Um, but of course, uh, yeah, there are some people that are doing things for the right reason, and uh, yeah, it's good to see that some there is there is some some stuff going into some parts of Africa in the way it should be. Is Craig still involved in the foundation? To my knowledge, the foundation uh, is gone. Because if you remember, there was the Ebola crisis. Yes. Um, yeah. wasn't long after I uh, wasn't long after I'd been there. Um, I'm guessing it was one or two years later, off the top of my head. Now, um, that kind of just destroyed a lot of things, really. Because there was um, um, 
as well as the regional leagues that we were all involved in. I can't say I was running it, but overseeing in my case. But there was an academy in the in the capital, so all the best players. That's that's what they aimed at. And then some of the players went to to Liverpool for trials um, and Cardiff, I think. But uh, I, sp- I spoke to a couple of the boys, I, the, the gentlemen I knew, um, McKenny from back in that time, uh, about a year ago, and they were trying to kind of start something similar again without the outside help, but, um, you know, just to kind of um, start new projects, um, reflecting on the things they've learned, you know, the first time around. So hopefully, mm-hmm. whatever happens, he, you know, Craig Bellamy, what he did out there made a huge benefit uh, to, to thousands of people. So I've got, yes. I've got to take that Absolutely. Uh, here's a quiz question. Name the Sierra Leone-born England international who played about 18 months ago against Spain to become Watford's third full England international while being contracted to the club. Oh, I don't know. Chalabar. Okay. Yeah, Chalabar born in Sierra Leone and uh, Watford have big links with Sierra Leone because Al Bangora, who broke Robbie Savage's leg once upon a time, yeah. also... Uh, was a refugee from Sierra Leone. So, um, again, a country that I'd love to go and, and discover because it's just a place on a... Unfortunately, it's a place on a comic relief video, uh, in my mind. Life's very tough out there. It's, um, mm. it's, uh, there's, no, there's, no, there's no line. It's, it's, it's very difficult for a lot of people. I have a friend from Victoria Falls. So she is Mashona. But when mm. I told her that I knew what Matabelliland was... Uh, she she said, "Oh, really? No one knows that." I said, "Yeah, I saw them play at the Kanifa World Football Club." <laughs> you mean you don't know? Uh, this is one of the stories that um, I'm delighted to house in the football library, for which you get your laminated football library card in order to do some reading. Usually, I put Brian Glanville on it, but I think for yours, I'm going to put a wobbly-legged Zimbabwean. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the part of the show where. Um, I've been promising Bruce Grobelar, but it was one of the most amazing things to be in a position where Bruce Grobelar might have got onto the pitch. I was at that game where I think the first choice goalkeeper was suspended, the second choice went down injured, and I I saw Bruce Grobelar warm up. God knows what yeah. the coach was thinking, and I've got the coach here. What were you thinking? Yeah, what what happened? You're right. Yeah, the first choice keeper. The coaches, we all have different opinions about who should be in goals, but um, one of our first two two choice keepers was was suspended, as you rightly said. The third choice keeper was injured. <laughs> he, he sort of arrived in the tournament injured. I had uh, always wanted, I'd had this sort of bizarre idea to have to have Bruce in as a fourth choice keeper. Um, the idea being that in one of the games I'd bring him on, you know, for the last two minutes or the last five minutes when we were four nil up or four nil down, <laughs> and, there, and there we were at the game you mentioned. Suddenly, um, our keeper goes down injured after about two minutes, and Bruce <laughs> he looks over at me, raises his eyebrows, <laughs> and uh, he knows that you know if the keeper doesn't get up, he's on because um, he's the only keeper we've got. And, and bear um, in mind, he's 60 years old at this point. 60 years old, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the keeper, he has a bit of treatment, he plays on, and if I, something like 20, 20 minutes later, he goes down again. Yeah. This time it looks serious. And uh, I don't know where you were on the stadium. Did you see Did you see Bruce pull off his, 
pull off this top. Was I wearing. was right by the dugout. <laughs> so he pulled it off. He got his medallion and he's uh, he's got he's got a bit of a tattoo, wasn't he? And he pulled, yeah. pulled it off and, and put on put on the match shirt and and you know, basically was going to get uh, warmed up to come on. Fortunately, um, as, as, as entertaining as it would have been to have seen Bruce come on, and I suppose in terms of profile, it'd been unbelievable for us in hindsight. But uh, yeah, he didn't. We didn't need him in that game, but um, he, he did. He did get a game for us when we played um, when we played a friendly. Yeah, it was a friendly. The... Um, Bruce's book, Life in the Jungle, um, lays bare his extraordinary life. He fought for the Matabele against um, the Mashona. Is that right? In the 80s or in the 70s? Shona, yeah. Shona, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he came over to Liverpool. And there were not many foreigners uh, in English football in the 1980s. And when you were young, this was your, these were your formative years. So you would have watched that European Cup final that Grobelar became a hero in. I did, yeah. I mean, I... I, I can't say I remember anymore because now what, what you do is I've, I've watched, I've seen the video so many times. I just remember the video. Was it in the eighty? Was it eighty five? I don't remember. Uh, no, that was Heisel. Uh, it would be eighty eighty yeah. four. Yeah, you know, one of the major characters of, uh, of, of football in the eighties. Yeah, for sure. It's him and Neville Southall who were far and away the best goalkeepers, non-British goalkeepers. Uh, non-English goalkeepers at the time. But you end up, and this is a story you tell in One Football No Nets, which is your book about your time as amateur-slash-voluntary manager at Mata Bellyland, um, who were a team who um, were recognised by CANIFA, which is the Confederacy of Independent Football Associations, and their team were able to travel to the World Football Cup in 2018. I imagine that your business and marketing degree came in handy when you were trying to get to London. Um, as you were writing it all down, did you just shake your head and think, this is ridiculous? Why did I do this? <laughs> uh, yeah, it did. It, it, it did come in useful. It's come in useful in life, actually. Oh, maybe more now for work, but it's always, I think, understanding marketing and um, advertising and propaganda because and these are all the same thing in, in different forms. Um, it's very useful in life and, and understanding how people use language, be it individuals and governments. So I, de- I definitely gained something from from, from that um, <laughs> in a different kind of way to perhaps was intended. But, um, yeah, it was useful for sort of looking at how we were going to raise money, how we were going to raise awareness, how to use social media and um, how to get attention for the team. Um, but it, yeah, definitely. What, no, I, many times before I did it, during the time I was doing it, and since I've done it, I questioned what was that about. You know, well, <laughs> why, how did that happen, or you know, why did they do it? And yeah, definitely. Uh, sometimes it doesn't seem real when I reflect reflect on that time. Who would play you in the film? <laughs> I've got to think of somebody really good looking, haven't I? You're, you're, who's, who's you? Who's young and good-looking and adventurous? Well, Brad Pitt's about <laughs> your age. I was going to say Brad Pitt, yeah. <laughs> yeah, OK, I'll deal with that. I'll have, I'll have Brad Pitt, yeah. Well, yeah, because Brad Pitt's made some sport films before. But this is... Uh, yeah, you, have drop, you have to drop the accent, though. Yeah, he's, he's got to do the accent, though. Yeah, it, well, he'll, he'll embed himself with people from Cambridgeshire and uh, meet you in Riga at some point to get the who's did the film uh, with Idi Amin, the Scottish actor? James McAvoy. 
Maybe James McAvoy because he's, he's yeah. the film when he's been out of Africa, isn't he? You know, in that sort of you know sort of slightly bizarre circumstances, and uh, he's a good-looking lad. And I'll have him because he, he can do the accent better. He was very, very good in that film, by the way. Forrest Whitaker, yeah. astonishing. But James McAvoy was a good foil. This because you had to obviously fund it. Because it, you weren't, yeah. you were getting some support, but you end up selling shirts and Paddy Power do a film. Uh, as you yeah. say, you go back to Riga to raise money. You had to raise an awful lot of money. Was it fifty thousand pounds? I'm not sure entirely how much it was in the end because um, you know money had to go here, there, and everywhere. It was the target was thirty. Um, I would imagine it was we got something more like forty thousand dollars, forty thousand US in the end, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you, if you if you look at it, um, if you have twenty twenty five flights at seven hundred dollars, um, and then you have twenty five visas, which are close to two hundred dollars each, I think, by the time you've you've done all the going backwards and forwards to the capital and paperwork and everything, um, there's there's most of the money immediately gone, um, and that's that's the kind of scale of what you need just to just to move a bunch of people from. From, from Southern Africa to, to the UK. We, we ran the team um, on, on, on almost nothing most weeks, you know. There were times when we couldn't even pay the, you know, the $8 for the, for the training pitch, so we ended up on the, on the uh, public pitch. Um, so we were, yeah, we struggled to get enough petrol together for the away match. Um, you know, we were, we were playing somewhere, we needed $20, $20 of petrol to get there and back in. We were scraping, scraping around trying to get twenty dollars. So, yeah, I would say operating wise, when we were in Zimbabwe, um, uh, the, the Busani, um, the two Busanis, they, they, they really, and all the people around us that helped. So how they managed to keep that going, I'll never really know. But then, yeah, when we had to get to the tournament between us all, we had to try and we had to try and find people that would um, give us, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars to get us to to England. It's it's just extraordinary. And you tell the story in one football, no nets. And when I was reading back, I read Chris Deedy's book, Forgotten Nations. I spoke to James Hendicott, who has the book about Kanifa. So the Matabeliland story is well documented and you're, the, you're almost the spokesperson for the team. I think I remember it was a penalty. Matabeliland scored a penalty and I was just so pleased that I didn't even know where Matabeliland was the previous week. But you get yeah. sucked into the story. There were 16 separate narratives in the Kanifa tournament. It was eventually yeah. won by... I will go back and check who won it. Um, Carpitalia. Carpitalia, yes. Do you have a good relationship with fellow coaches uh, of various yeah. Kanifa nations? Oh, very much so, yeah. yeah. Um, met a lot of good people um, during my time with Kanifa. There's, there's rivalries in wanting to win, but you... You're much more more united than you are, I think, in any other kind of global tournaments or regional tournaments because I think everyone at that tournament, well, most people at that tournament feel like, you know, they're up against things in, in life uh, for whatever reason. So there's, um, there's a solidarity between teams. Um, and, um, yeah, I get, on, I get on well with um, various, various teams. Um, I think the last coach I spoke to was the was the was the boss of the Chagos Islands. Um, I like what they're doing. Uh, most of the players are, are, are based around Crawley, I think. You know, it's um, their history, their stories is, is another incredible 
very sad, oh, disturbing it's terrible. tale. Terrible. Terrible. Uh, read what was going on last year in the deliberations. It's it's beyond scandalous. It is beyond scandalous. Um, people should educate themselves about that if they can. They've got an interest to find out what went on in the in the Chagos Islands. It uh, doesn't make us look good. It doesn't make humanity look good. And Kanifa. Which is, Kanifa does make humanity look good. Can you just do um, kind of five words each on Per Anders Blint and Sasha Durkop? Uh, well, Sasha's, Sasha's no, longer, no longer with Kanifa. Um, quite, yeah. quite, yeah, quite a few people moved on. But Sasha was, um, Sasha was unbelievable. You know, he, he put his absolute heart and soul into it. He, he, I, I don't know how he didn't, just didn't have a nervous breakdown over the years, actually, how much work he was putting in. Incredible knowledge of all the all the different um, countries and territories and uh, exclaves and everything else, tribal groups, um, and just a real passion for helping people. So I, 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 I just really enjoyed um, working with Sasha. It was a real inspiration. Pair I've always always gotten very well with personally. He's a he's a he's a, he's a really uh, fun oh, character. Scandinavian. You like those people? Yeah, he's uh, he, he's often out in the Temperatures that I think are cold today, he'd probably think are warm. He's, he's, he's often at minus, minus 20. He's out in the middle of the snow. Um, he, he comes across very well representing Conifa. And um, I, I haven't had anything to, you know, personally to do with Conifa for the last few months. But um, as far as I know, he's still he's still heavily involved and uh, hopefully leading Conifa on to good things in the future. Yeah, once again, Conifa.org and Conifa Official. There are many African nations in Kanifa, and uh, the the tournament is, I imagine it will be postponed again this year, because the virus isn't going away. But you will cheer from the sidelines, I'm sure, for the next World Football Cup. We, obviously, the World Cup was due to be held in um, North Macedonia last, um, last June, yeah. I had hoped to be involved with one of the teams, actually, in, in some capacity, not not as a head coach. Um, nothing was agreed. I was speaking to a couple of teams, and uh, okay. I won't say who they were for for, 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 for private reasons. But uh, yeah, it never happened. The tournament, the tournament, obviously, never happened. Um, but um, one lovely thing I was mentioning was that um, Bisani, the, the, the head of Matabili Land, had said, um, "When we get to the final, not if." Uh, <laughs> he said, "I'd love you." And sit on the come and sit on the bench with us, um, and, and watch us lift. You know, watch us win and watch us lift uh, the title. So um, that was uh, that was amazing when he when he when he wrote that to me. I really appreciated it, and um, I look forward to the day when I, I can sit with them on the bench and in the corner of the bench, huddled up and and, and see them. You know, see them win it because um, I know how much it'll mean to to everyone involved. And uh, when I when I asked you on to talk about one football no nets which is the book available for 12.99 or probably cheaper i did i did ask it must have been a very long book uh and apparently you said your editor cut it by a half yeah because what happened was i i i kept um i kept a diary not so much reminiscence as uh, you know a year later it's um uh, i mean the entire the entire sections for zimbabwe was um was the original diary just uh, just typed up from uh, from paper. It was a long job. I wish I'd put it on the computer now. Yeah, there was a lot of extra content um, I, because I told a lot of stories of, of, of uh, other things that went on while I was in Zimbabwe. And you just can't, you can't, um, you know, as a publisher, you just it doesn't make sense financially because the book 
comes too big, um, you lose you lose some revenue. He probably doesn't think it's on message. You know, some of the stories go on too long. Um, yeah, I, I'm sad some of that stuff's not there. People have said to me, it, you know, the length of the book and um, the diary format works well for them. And a lot of people get seem to get through it in one, two, three days, which I, can, I can't possibly read a book that quickly. But uh, they're very complimentary about uh about the format and how it works. Excellent. And uh, it's Justin Wally and then one zero. Justin Wally 10. I can't believe there are nine other Justin Wallys, but that is the, that's the Twitter <laughs> I, I ID. I, I wanted the 10. I wanted the 10. More, I, I like wearing a 10 these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, I do hope you write something else, but One Football No Nets is your diary of coaching Mata Bellyland, a, a nation without... Well, what would you call them? A region? A people? It is a region. Yeah, people-wise, it, it, it's a majority in Tenderbelly, but it's not a, not in, not inclusively. You know, there are lots of uh, people from different tribes, uh, different races there. So, yeah, Matabeleland is a, is, a, is a region of Zimbabwe. Um, you know, again, educate yourself about the history of the, of, of the country and, and, the, and, his, and the history of Matabeleland before uh, Rhodesia. It's, it's, it's interesting to learn these things, I think, about the world and how the world changes. Um, when I think of it, I think of um, Bulawayo and all the lovely people I know there and the beautiful country. You know, that's what I, what, what I remember. My brother is engaged to a, well, a woman who has family still in Zimbabwe, as a white family in Zimbabwe. So I'd love to learn a bit more about that. And hopefully I will. Uh, but I will get a good head start from one football no nets. Justin Wally, have a wonderful snowy weekend in Riga. And uh, I, I hope that when the football season starts back, you will get to, well, not play anymore because you're retired. But Oh, I haven't retired. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to play this season. <laughs> well, even even if I get five minutes as a sub, um, I haven't retired yet. Played three games last year, so uh, I'm not ready to. I see. I see a gentleman in uh, Japan. We were we were yeah. referencing who's three. So I'm not. I'm not giving up while he's still playing. Keep those hammies limber. Uh, do some downward dogs, and I will follow your exploits uh, through social media as you will follow Northampton Town's exploits uh, in turn. But good luck to the cobblers. Up cobblers. Uh, and uh, all the very best to you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It's been an enjoyable chat. Just like the library! Just like the library! Just like the library!